Welcome to the Nation's Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. I'm very excited and I really do count it such a privilege and an honour to share God's Word with you today. And I want to encourage you to come with an open heart because I believe the Holy Spirit is about to speak to you. And uh, I, I really get the sense it's not just a sermon to tick a box, but God wants to awaken something in your heart. God wants to bring really a revival inside of you today because I believe, yes, we're at nearly at the end of the year. And how many of us know as, as we get towards Christmas and then New Year's, things start to slow down and the pace of life just changes. And uh, I just get the sense prophetically on my heart that God is not done in 2023 yet. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about God's not done with us on a Sunday. No, God's not done in your life too. God's not done in your family. God's not done in your workplace. God's not done on your street. And so I want to stir your heart because I believe there is more that God wants to do in and through you. And uh, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to do something very, very special today. Um, Before I do jump into the message, I'd just love to quickly share You know, God has really been doing something very special in our youth and in our young adult space here at our nation's church. You know, in in, in the last 12 months, our youth ministry has grown 70%. Uh, Can we just give God a clap of praise for that? Because honestly, I've been in youth ministry for years and I know there's a point that it's not the work of man, it's the work of God, you know? We, We can be faithful, but it's God that brings the increase. And what I'm loving is it's not just more numbers, but we're seeing more of God's Spirit breaking out. We're seeing more miracles, more healings. We're seeing young people activated in the gifts and activated in the call of God. You know, just three weeks ago, right here on our Friday night, we saw 32 people make a first-time decision to invite Jesus into their life. Can we give God a clap of praise for that? So good, man. Not only that, but one thing I'm loving is we're not just seeing God moving here on a Friday. But we're seeing our young people and our young adults activated in their life midweek. You know, we've got this young guy called Prince who is just an absolute evangelist. And a few weeks ago, he went out on a Saturday to go share the gospel. And uh, he saw someone walking past with a moon boot on. And so he starts the conversation by saying, hey, how would you feel if Jesus healed that ankle right now? And the guy was a bit taken back, like, oh, yeah, I mean, I've never seen a miracle before. That would be cool. And so Prince asked if he could pray for him. He let him pray for him and then asked, how does it feel? And he was like, oh, you know, it's still painful. And then Prince responded, can I pray again? Don't you just love the the tenacity of young people that don't take no for an answer? And all the mums said, amen. You know what it's like. And so they prayed again. And in that moment, God instantly healed this guy's ankle. He takes his moon boot off. He's stomping on it. God had totally healed that guy's ankle. Not only that, Prince then shares the gospel with him and his two friends. And all three of them give their life to Jesus right there on the spot. We're seeing God break out in a very, very special way. Even on Friday night, we had our final night for the term. And as we were packing down, two teenagers waltzed in off the street. They were just riding scooters. And one of our leaders, Caleb Locke, just started chatting with them. And one of the girls actually had a broken back and she had pain in the back. So Caleb asked if he could pray for her. And so he did and God instantly healed her back. And then she gave her life to Jesus, literally out there in the foyer at 10 p.m. on a Friday night. Can we give God some praise, man? And I'm not saying this to to G you up. And I'm not saying this to say, oh, wow, what a great youth ministry. No, no, this isn't what God's doing in our youth. It's what He's doing in our church. 
It's what God is doing in our whole house, that there is a fresh wave of revival. There's a fresh wave. And as Nations Church, we are about reaching those far from God. And I want to encourage you, that includes you. You are part of God's master plan for the city of Perth. You are part of God's master plan for your suburb, for your family. And I want to stir your heart this morning to believe with me that there is more that God wants to do in and through you as we come to the end of the year. Amen. Is anyone ready for the Word of God today? If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter number 16, verse number 14 through to 16. And if you can stop just for one more moment, sorry, if that's okay. I heard it going down. I was like, not yet, mate, come on. (laughs) Sensitive ears here. When I get to 40, maybe not so much. But anyway, Mark 16. And uh, I want to ask if it's okay in this room and online, would you stand with me to your feet as we honor God's word this morning? Says Jesus, having died, having risen from the grave, is now appearing to his disciples. And he didn't appear to one of them or two of them. He he appeared to all of his apostles, the 11 that he had. It says in verse 14, later, Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. How many of you know it's a good day when Jesus rebukes you? Verse number 15, He said to them, go. Turn to your neighbor and say, go. Turn to your other neighbor and make sure they're awake. Say, go. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Someone say gospel. To all creation, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. What, what challenges me with this passage is Jesus did not single out a couple of them and say, hey, you two, you're my team evangelism. You're going to be the ones that shares the gospel. No, He said it to all of them. That means whether they were introverted or extroverted, whether they were young, whether they were old, whether they were rich, whether they were poor, whatever their background was, this commission was given to all of them. I heard a pastor in Brisbane say it's the great commission, not the great suggestion. And there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians that says, if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for the battle? The bugle was a trumpet that they would sound. And when people heard the sound, they would know war is happening and they would respond by getting themselves ready, gearing up with armor and getting ready to the battlefield. But if that sound wasn't clear, if that sound was inconsistent or muffled, people wouldn't respond appropriately because they couldn't identify the distinct sound. I want to submit to you today that if we are wanting our world to respond clearly to the gospel, we actually have an onus of responsibility upon us to actually present a gospel that is clear to them. Because the Bible says, how will they believe unless anyone tells them? And so what I believe in God wants to do today is not just bring a clarity to the gospel, but bring a fire in your heart again for this gospel message. You might have been following Jesus for 40 years. I want to tell you today, there's a fresh love fire coming into your heart because the gospel is still alive. It's still got power to transform. It's still all about Jesus. Even in heaven right now, they're not singing, oh, what a great day. They're singing, worthy is the Lamb because it's all about Him. He's the beginning, He's the end, He's the middle. And so the title of this sermon today is simply this, What is the Gospel? And my prayer is more than bringing clarity, it will place a fire in you. Can everyone, if you're comfortable, just lift your hands across this room. God, we just honour Your glory that's in the house. 
Oh God, I ask that I'd get out of the way and you'd get into the way. I ask though I might be talking, Holy Spirit, would you be speaking? God, I even ask that as I am preaching, you would bring people to remembrance. Bring individuals in our worlds that You're calling us to reach, Father God. Deposit divine assignments. Lord, I thank You for Your church. I thank You, Lord God, for the mighty men and women of God. I thank You for the legacy that's in this room. But God, we're hungry for more of You. We ask God for an outbreak of Your Spirit today. We ask for the glory of God to increase. We ask that You'd set our hearts to fire once again. I pray that the Gospel would not run dry in us, but let it burn in us, Father God. Let it burn in us like a torch. Father God. I pray, Father God, like that Olympic torch where the flame never goes out. I pray in our hearts, let the flame of love for Your Gospel never go out, but let it be passed from generation to generation to generation. And we thank You for all You're going to do in Jesus' Name. Everyone said? Come on, give Jesus a clap of praise. Amen. Amen. Oh, we love You, God. You can take your seat today. So good. Amazing. Can we give it up for our worship team? Aren't they just like so talented? How good is it when they take a carol and turn it into a worship song? What, what carol wouldn't work, you know? Have you ever thought of that? Just we three men? Yeah, anyway, I want to tell you a story. Um, earlier this year, I got the privilege to, to go up to a school in Girawin. And uh, it's a Christian school. And I got briefed by the head of year saying, hey, I'd love to get you up just to share whatever you want to share just with our guys. Uh, you can pray for them if you want, but it's got to be in eight minutes because the, the assembly was already really packed with a bunch of celebrations. And so I had an eight minute window to, to share with the school. And how many of you know, that's not really like a lot of time, you know, it's, you, you kind of want to try to build rapport, you, you know, you, you kind of want to help people along. And so I remember going to pray and talking to the Lord. And just asking Jesus, like, Jesus, what, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? And I felt the Holy Spirit so clear to say, Matt, just preach the gospel. And so I got up there, and that's exactly what I did. I, I, I didn't have a, a great eloquent sermon. I simply just preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came, that He died on a Roman cross, that He was buried, that He rose from the dead, that if you believe in Him, you can have your sins forgiven. You can live for eternity with God. I shared about how Jesus had changed my life. And by this part, I was up to like the six-minute mark. And I was like, okay, I've got two minutes left. And I want to give people an opportunity in this room to respond and give their life to Jesus. So I got everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. And uh, I just asked, hey, if that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus, you want to follow Him on the count of three, would you lift your hand? One, two, three. I kid you not, over 200 kids put their hand up in that moment and invited Jesus into their life. We can give God some praise for that. Not only that, but then my time was done. So I handed back to the head of year and he, he said, hey, Matt and, and Josh, because I had my, my friend Josh with me that day, said, hey, they're going to be hanging around today uh, if you want prayer for anything. And so we just hung around the front and one by one, kids just came forward that wanted prayer. And I remember praying for these kids and one by one, they would just well up with tears as God's presence hit them. I saw Josh praying for this one girl and 
that they weren't ready for this. I don't even think Josh was ready for this, but she just fell over and hit the stage with a really loud thud. So we all look over and there's a six foot two Sri Lankan man standing next to an unconscious girl on the stage. And, you know, it looks not like a great situation, you know what I mean? But we just explained, hey, it's just the power of God. And they were super cool with it. Praise God for Christian schools, amen. And um, one by one, we just got to chat with kids and pray with them. And I remember leaving and there were kids sitting in their seat that didn't want to go into recess because the presence of God was just resting on them with tears in their eyes as this Jesus that they might have heard about became real in that moment. And what challenged me is because that day earlier this year, I I didn't have the Nations Church worship band with me. I didn't have a room full of faith or, or people that were clapping and amening. I don't know if you've ever talked to teenagers in school, but it's not the most encouraging experience. You know, they might be happy, but they need to send the message to their face. Amen. It's just like, you're trying your best. And so I didn't have a great atmosphere. I didn't have a smoke machine. I had these horrible fluoro lights straight from anywhere. Uh, You know, just this bad, bad place. But God taught me something that even if I don't have the atmosphere, even if I don't have the team, even if I don't have the church congregation, I have something that is even more powerful, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you today that the gospel, not the gospel and, but the gospel by itself is powerful enough to save, that it's powerful enough to move the human heart. It's powerful enough to convict of sin. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is, someone say is, it is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. In other words, the gospel doesn't just have power, it is power. And I learned in that moment that when we choose to simply preach the gospel message of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and backs it up. When we choose to tell people the good news about Jesus and what He's done, the Holy Spirit sweeps in and touches their heart. You might not be eloquent. You might not have great theology on all these different topics. But can I tell you, if you've got the gospel message of Jesus, it's just as powerful inside of your mouth as it is inside of my mouth, as it is inside of the apostles' mouth in the Bible. The gospel has the power to save. And even in Mark chapter 16, Jesus' commandment was to go and preach the gospel. And it says in verse number 20, Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed His word by the signs that accompanied it. In other words, the signs accompanied the gospel, not the gospel accompanying the signs. Let me put it to you this way. The gospel is the main course. The signs and wonders are merely the side dish. But you know what I find so often? is we make a main course out of side issues and we neglect the very thing God has commissioned us to do. And I'm not saying it's bad to go into side issues. You know, yes, social justice is important. Yes, our belief about sexuality is important. Yes, it's important to tithe. Yes, it's important to know about godly finances. But can I tell you, when it comes to a broken people that are on their way to hell, they don't need your top 10 tips on how to live a better life. What they need is the gospel message of Jesus because that is the message with the power to save. And so I guess the title of this sermon is, What is the gospel? Because if we want to be clear about it, we've got to know it in our souls. And the gospel is actually a Greek word that's been translated into English called euangelion. 
Everyone, no, I'm not going to get you to say it. It'll be a wild time. But phonetically, Yuang Gel Eon sounds like um, four people hyphenated their names into a great conjunction here. And the definition of it is simply this good news. Someone say good news. Someone say, I got good news. Does anyone here that just loves good news? You know, a few weeks back, probably like two months ago, I got home from work and uh, my wife, Sydney, uh, she didn't go to work that day. She cleaned our house, praise God. (laughs) He knew. (laughs) And I walked in and I walked past, uh, you know, the front of our house and our our bedrooms on the side and I I see on our bed this, this bag. And this bag has these distinct, distinctive black and white stripes and with the words footlocker imprinted across just for all you Collingwood fans it's not a Collingwood bag okay never anyway and I was like I looked at I was like oh I looked at her I was like no I go over to the bag and look inside and previously backtrack two weeks prior we'd gone to footlocker there was this t-shirt I really liked I thought it'd be really cool I tried it on Decided it wasn't really in our budget because we're good financial stewards. Amen, PK. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we didn't get it. I was like, it's, it's not the best decision. But Sydney decided to go out of her own personal finance that she has and bless me and buy that gift for me. And it was sitting on my bed. And I was like, oh, my God, babe, you're so, ah. Has anyone here ever received a gift from your wife or your husband? Oh, my gosh. All right. I don't know. Clara, the equipping side, I think we've got a marriage counseling session six, buy a gift for your spouse. And all the gift receivers said, amen. Amen. And so anyway, I put the shirt on and I'm like, I love it. And okay, so we're about authenticity here at Nations Church. And so can I just ask for this next question that you are just totally transparent with me. Is that okay? I'm going to get really vulnerable. I need you to meet me there, otherwise it's going to be awkward. Have you ever had a time that you've left your house and you know that you just look really good? (laughs) Like, come on now. Don't, and it's not just the girls, it's the guys too. You know what I'm talking about? You got that R.M. Williams belt with your shirt tucked in thinking people aren't going to notice, you know? With the lights just shining it everywhere and worse. Oh my gosh, Shannon, put it away. Anyway, you know? You've got that new watch, you've got that new shirt, you've got those new shoes. I tell you, man, I went to church that Sunday and I was like, I am the man. You know what I'm talking about? I was confident, I was excited. And I walked in and I kid you not, within like the first few minutes, my friend Josh Kim comes up to me. He's like, bro, Matt, I, I love this shirt. And I was like, oh. <laughs> this old thing. <laughs> It was actually a gift from my wife, Sydney. She got it for me the other way. It was really, really cool. And then, you know, I get 10 more steps. Shamin comes over. Dude, I already know what she's going to say. I already know it, but I play it off like I don't know. Oh, hey, Shamin, how are you going? Dude, that is the sick. Oh, the, oh this, this old thing. This is actually, a, you know, a gift from my wife, Sydney. I had like three or four people. And can I tell you, every time someone asked me about it, I wasn't shy. I wasn't hiding it. I was bold and I was loud about telling them what had happened. Why? Because what had happened to me that day wasn't bad news. It was good news. See, when you have good news, you're not shy about it. When you have good news, you're not insecure about it. Why? Because good news is worth telling someone else. 
But so often I find when it comes to good news, we can be loud and proud about material things, about the job promotion, about the new car, about what's going well at work. But when it comes to the greatest news that actually has the power to save someone's soul, when it comes to the greatest news that has the ability to heal someone's body, has the ability to snatch them out of hell, sometimes we don't even choose to believe it is good news. But I want to tell you today, the gospel is not bad news, it's great news. It's the message the world is crying out to hear. Because we can comfort them, but the gospel is what's going to set them free. We can be nice to them, but the gospel will save them. And so when it comes to this good news, what specifically now is the good news? Have you ever thought of that? Like, what, like what is the good news? Because like, there's a lot in the Bible, you know what I mean? Like, is it that God is real? Is it that God has a plan for your life? Is it that God wants to bless your finances? Is it that, you know, Jesus was a good person? If you follow his morals, you know, you'll have a great life. Is it, you know, biblical principles? Like, like specifically, what is the good news? And I want to encourage you, if you take nothing from the sermon today, I want to encourage you to remember this one next point. Because if you can remember this, this clarity, I believe, will help you in your ability to reach those far from God in your world. The gospel, put plainly and simply, is the good news of what Jesus did for us and what that means to us. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus did for us and what that means to us. In its simplest form, the gospel is that Jesus came, Jesus died, He rose again, and that if you repent and believe in Him, you'll be forgiven eternally for your sin. In its bite-sized form, this is the gospel message. But how many of us know that what that means to us is far greater than just one sentence on a stage. See, the gospel is not your testimony, though that's good. The gospel is not a miracle, though those are good. The gospel isn't even got anything to do with what you can do for God. The gospel has actually got everything to do with what God has already done for you. That while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, while you and I we're living our life, sinning our sin, doing what we want, hurting ourselves, injuring ourselves, destroying relationships. While we were in the thick of sin, God became a man. 2,000 years ago, God put skin and bone on and became the man, Jesus Christ. He did not come as a 30-year-old. He came as a, in the, the womb as a child and He lived a human life perfectly. This Jesus, this God-man lived a life you and I can never live. He never sinned once. He never missed the commandments or the laws. He wasn't just acting perfect. He was perfection itself. And then this God-man died a death on a Roman cross. He paid the price for your sin and for my sin so that we could be right with God. And I want to challenge you because sometimes we can hear this. And if you've been in church for a while, you, you run the risk of familiarity where when you hear this, it no longer moves your heart. Where once the statement of Jesus dying for you was so real, you couldn't think about him without tears welling up in your eyes. 
without seeing a, a cross on a, sta- a screen, it, it would move your heart. But there's a danger of familiarity where you think that the gospel is step one of Christianity and you don't realise the gospel is the entirety of it. Because it wasn't a normal death. It wasn't a quick death. It was a painful, gruesome, hideous death at a cross where they tied him and they whipped him and then they whipped him with rods and after that they whipped him with a scour which effectively meant they would tie bits of bone and metal to the end of the whip so that as it would go in it would sink into his flesh and as they would pull it, it would rip the flesh of his body. They ripped the flesh and the skin off his body. They beat him. They punched him. They, they, they joked. They said, prophesy. Who hit you that time? And they hit him again and again and again. And they mocked him and they pierced him and they spat at him and they pulled his beard out and they punched him. They left him in a dungeon in a prison cell overnight. And then the next day he gets up and then they have to go crucify him. And his body was so whipped, it was so beaten. The Bible says one could scarcely tell he was a man. I know we've seen the passion of the Christ and that was impactful but can I just submit that might not even have been the full extent of Jesus' sacrifice that when you would look at him you wouldn't even be able to tell if he was a human and this God man this perfect man carried a sinner's cross on a back with no skin on it up a hill called Golgotha and at the top of that hill they laid him upon it and at any moment He could have called upon thousands and millions of angels to come save him, but he chose to willingly lay himself down. And they tied him to that post, not with rope, but they pierced nails through his hands and through his feet. They elevated him there, placed a crown of thorns on his head. They mocked him. They spat at him. They divided his clothes amongst themselves. And this God-man breathed out his last. And even while he was dying, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he gave up his spirit and he died. But if you turn the pages of your Bible over, you'll realize that death wasn't the end of the story. That on the third day, the ground began to shake and an earthquake happened. And a stone was rolled away. And this God man who was once dead, who was once literally crucified, got up out of the grave, defeating death, defeating sin, defeating sickness, defeating everything we could ever do to alienate ourselves from God. He paid for it once and for all time in His own body on that cross when He died for you and I. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the message of Jesus Christ. It's not how can you come to God. It's how God has already come to you. How God loved you so much, He took upon Himself your sin, Himself your wrong, Himself your pain, because He would rather die than you spend eternity without Him. This is the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. Does it move your heart when you hear it? Does it make you come alive inside? Because the gospel isn't just the start of your faith. It's the continuing of your faith too. It's the completion of your faith. See, I shared before, the gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done and what that means to us. And I don't know about you, but what this gospel message means for me has absolutely wrecked my life. 
I remember being an 11-year-old and inviting Jesus Christ into my life and feeling this joy that I never felt before. I remember being 14 and giving my life back to Jesus after not following him. And as I came literally to the front altar, as I stepped forward, I felt these physical weights fall off my body. By the time I got to the altar, I couldn't even stand. I was on my knees, bawling my eyes out as the weight of the shame of what I'd done was physically removed off me. And God filled me with his love. He filled me with his kindness. He filled me with his peace. He gave me an identity that isn't dependent on what you say. He showed me what he says about me, what he thinks about me and it set me free from what others thought about me. I remember when I was 21, being so oppressed in my mind and feeling condemned like I was not forgiven, like I was not right with God. And I had a moment at a 6 p.m. service at Nations Church, Myri, where Jesus himself physically came and stood before me. And this spirit, this heaviness, this oppression physically lifted off my body and God delivered me and I wept and I cried because the King of glory was before me, delivering me and setting me free. He's touched me. He's released me into my destiny. He's released me into my identity and my calling. He's released me into my purpose. He set me free from addiction. He set me free from bondage. He set me free from everything that ever separated me. But can I tell you, each thing Jesus has done, He doesn't get off His throne. He's simply withdrawing what He's already done at the cross. There is no gospel 2.0. It's the one message. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what bondage your mind is in. I don't know how gripped your heart is. I don't know what sickness is in your body. I don't know what addiction you're struggling with, but I want to submit to you today. Your solution is not in Jesus coming and dying again. His crucifixion is enough for you still. His wounds still work. The blood still has power. Come on, somebody. The empty tomb still has victory over your problem, over your sin, and over your destruction in your life. See, the gospel has radically changed my life. And I want to submit to you today that the gospel is the most important message, not just for the world, but I believe it's the most important message for the church. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, chapter number two. So it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, who's Paul going to a church in Corinth? And so when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The Apostle Paul, who had revelations on revelations, who understood mysteries, who was the apostolic, really, father of our church that built and planted churches. He said to the church in Corinth, when I was with you, I forgot everything except this one thing, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In other words, the most important message this world and you and I need to hear is not how to become a better person or how to overcome your problem. It's simply this Jesus loved you and he gave his life for you. And he was whipped and beaten, died and rose again. And there is eternal life that begins right now when you repent and come to him. This is the gospel. This is the message. And I want to ask you, does it burn in your heart? Does it stir your heart? Does it work within you? Is the gospel still alive inside of you today? See, what this world needs is the gospel of Jesus. Because the gospel is more than a story of what Jesus has done. It's a story of who he is. It's a story of one man. I love it when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened, and God said, This is my dearly loved son. The gospel is not just about what Jesus did. It's about who he is. 
And I love it. There's a preacher called Michael Koulianos who says, Jesus is the Father's only sermon. When God opened heaven, what did he say? This is my son. Look at him. Listen to him. Obey him. This is him. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He is God with skin and bone on. He is who your soul craves. He is who your heart is after. He has eyes like flames of fire. He has hair white like wool. He has holes still in his hand. He has wounds still on his side. He has marks on his body for your sin and for my sin. And he is still glorified. He's still at the right hand of God. And all of heaven, even right now, is singing, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Holy, holy, holy. Because he's the Alpha and He's the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's not just the start. He's the completion of your faith. When we go to be with Him, we don't move on to something else. It's still all about Him. He's the Lamb that was slain since before the foundations of the earth. And He's the Omega. The end of our faith is in Him. It always has been and always will be Jesus. He is the Father's sermon. He is the Father's assignment. He is the darling of heaven. He is who heaven adores. It's not even about you or me. It's all about Him. I want to ask you, Christian, does your heart burn for Him? Does your heart long for Him? David prophesied and said, As the deer pants for rivers of water, my soul pants for you, O Lord. Does your soul pant within you for Jesus? Or has it been polluted with desires for other things? I want to ask you, is the gospel enough for you today? Because there is no other gospel. There is no other tomb. There is no other cross. There's no other Golgotha. There's only one. There's only one man. There's God-man, Jesus Christ. Can I ask the worship team to come join me? If you can just turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 3. I want to read one last passage. Then we're going to pray. And really, there's two groups of people in this place. You're here today. And if you're honest, your your life's not right with God. I want to give you an opportunity to say a simple prayer to invite Jesus into your life. And when you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess Him with your mouth, you get saved. No matter what you've done, doesn't matter what it is. If you're here today, there is availability for you. The moment you invite Jesus in, your sins are forgiven. You're washed clean. You're made brand new. And you'll have eternity when you die. But more than that, you'll have Jesus in your life. He is the prize. He is who your soul longs for. I believe there might even be a couple of people in this room and you've been searching for significance by climbing the corporate ladder and you've been trying to find your soul's delight in the world. I want to ask you, how is that going? Because the truth is there's only one that can satisfy your soul and His name is Jesus. And He loves you and He died for you. And even right now, your heart might be racing. It's because God is drawing you because Jesus isn't a book. He's real. He's a man and He's in this room right now. And in a few moments time, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to invite Jesus into your life too, to do what I've done. When I was 14, I gave my life to Him, what so many of us have done in this room. But the second group of people, myself included in this part, are those of us that we've heard the Gospel, but if we're honest, our heart doesn't burn like it used to. And I believe today there's a fresh encounter and revelation with Jesus. I'm not just here to give you three points on how to preach the gospel and send you out because Jesus' criticism towards the Pharisees and I think it was the book of, of uh, Mark, he, he said, he, he complained. because He said, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We don't want to have a generation that knows how to speak clearly, but lacks the heart of fire that Jesus carries. And for you, I believe there's a fresh revelation of Jesus. Not just what He's done for us, but what He's done for you. 
not just what He's done for you, but what He's going to do for you because of what He's done. There is a fresh encounter with the man himself, Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 3, we read this account of Peter and John on the way to the temple after the day of Pentecost, going to a prayer meeting at 3 p.m. I love the early church because they weren't early morning prayers, they were afternoon prayers, amen? My type of people, that's why I just feel so called to, I don't know. It's probably just bad discipline on my part. Acts chapter 3 though, they're on their way and uh, they walk past this lame beggar that they'd seen all the time. And this guy asked Peter and John for money and rattling his, his cup, hey, you know, can I have some money? And Peter and John stop, and they look at him. And Peter says this line, he says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. He doesn't stop there. He grabs him by the hand and he pulls him up. And the Bible says, as he did, the man's feet and ankles were made strong. The guy got up, hadn't walked for all his life. He was over 40 years old. And he began to walk and check it out. And then he began to leap. And then he began to praise God. And dancing with them, they went into the temple praising God. How many of you know that is a great day in church? Like, can, can we just like, put yourself in the story for a second? Imagine literally the guy that you've walked past every day that's been crippled. There he is dancing in church with Peter, with John. You'd be like, what on earth has happened? You know, I love it. And I'm all about healings as well. I, I believe we're going to see more healings in our church. I believe there's more signs and wonders. I believe there's more that God wants to do in this house. But what challenges me in this passage isn't the healing, but it's the conviction of Peter and John. Because so many of us, myself included, if I'm honest, I'd be like, PK, let's, let's get the camera team. Let's record this testimony. Let's chuck it on news. We're going to travel the world with this guy telling, you know, I'm like, this is a great day. But Peter and John go into the temple and everyone sees him. And it says this in Acts chapter 3, verse number 9, all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realised he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter, John, Peter and John. Verse 12, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us? as though we had made this man walk by our own power of godliness. And then Peter shares the gospel with those watching. And in that day, the church goes from 3,000 to 5,000 in Acts chapter 4. I love it because the Bible says Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. See, Peter was all about healing, but the opportunity wasn't to heal the sick. The opportunity was to preach the gospel. Peter was looking for something different. In other words, Peter's priority wasn't on healing, but it was on proclaiming the good news. I wanna ask you and I wanna challenge you today, what is your priority on? Is your priority aligned to Peter and John and Jesus and the Bible? Or like so many of us, have we made the side dish the main event and prioritised things that have no eternal significance in the Kingdom of God? Because can I tell you, you can see someone's sick body heal and they could still go to hell. Because healing doesn't save, Jesus saves. You can give lots of money to poor people and you can feed them. But can I tell you, at the end of the day, the only message with the power to save is not here's a meal, it's here is my Son, Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Eat of Him and you'll live forever. This world is crying out for this Gospel message and God has assigned you to be a proclaimer, to be the bugle trumpet, to say here, here is Jesus, He is enough for you. 
What is your priority on? Is your priority what Peter's was? Or like me, would you get caught up in the healing and never tell the people what they needed to hear? Maybe a better question is simply this. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? I'm not saying invited to church, though that's good and we need to do that. I'm not saying share your testimony, though those are awesome and we actually do need to do that. But at the end of the day, whether it's in your uh, bedroom or your living room or at this altar, people get saved not from testimonies, but from meeting with a man named Jesus and understanding what he has done for them. Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com. Thank you.